Hello, everybody. I'll just wait a few seconds to let some more people in. Okay, hello and welcome to MyOSH webinars. My name is Christina and I will be your host for today. Today's webinar is Critical Control Leadership and Verifications, Operationalizing Critical Controls Through In-Field Interactions. Um, today's webinar is being presented to you by Dr. Brett Solomon of Centus. Now, a bit of housekeeping. The chat function has been turned off. So if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to put them in the Q&A panel and we will open for questions at the end. This webinar is also being recorded. So it will be sent out to attendees once published. Um, and if you have any questions, like I said, just reach out at the end. Over to you, Brett. Excellent, excellent. Well, good day, everyone. It's an absolute joy and privilege to spend this hour with you. And I find this topic to be very interesting because on the surface, it's fairly basic and you'd expect everyone to know what to do. And yet for some reason, we're just not seeing the type of leadership when it comes to firstly putting in critical controls in place and then making sure that they are effective. And so we're just going to explore this idea in very practical terms, but I think it's very fitting that we start off with an acknowledgement to country. So at Centus, we acknowledge the traditional custodians throughout Australia and recognizes their connections to land, waters, and community. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today and pay our respects to elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. We do this because we value Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture, and knowledge. So I think it's with this type of sentiment is Centus is we are a, um, a global company based in Australia, Brisbane. And really our heartbeat is to change the lives of individuals and organizations for the better every day. And we do this by using psychology and neuroscience within the safety community. And so that's really where our focus is. And from that understanding for today's, I just want to move this, um, is we're just going to be looking at three elements when it comes to critical control, leadership, and verification. And the first area is around the critical risk management. Then we're going to actually look at the critical control verifications and then the leadership component around interpersonal communication strategies. And then we'll have around 10 to 15 minutes for some questions and answers where we can interact with each other um, on a more personal basis. Now, core to who Centus is and our strategy is around what we refer to as the ABR model. And really, all of us are looking for certain results. So if we're um, taking this presentation as the focus is what is our results, at the end of the day is we want everyone to go home safely, is we want to make sure that there aren't any catastrophic events where people are getting injured and worst cases, they even dying. So for that to happen is we need certain behaviors is we need people to take um, safety seriously. They need to be vigilant when they come to identifying critical controls, putting them in place, and um, really following the rules and regulations when it comes to working safely. And a lot of companies, is that's where their focus is. They put a lot of attention in making sure that people behave in a certain manner, because it makes sense. It's if you behave in the right way, you're gonna get the right outcome. But here's the challenge that we find is that the fact that I know something doesn't mean I'm going to do it. So I know that we must put a certain control in place, but for a variety of reasons is I don't, or maybe it's in place and then I bypass that. And so really is that as leaders, our first starting point is to look at the 
attitudes. The reason why people think and feel concerning safety that drives their behavior. So if I see the importance of going home safely, if I have that as a personal value and I understand, so that's my attitude, I'm thinking about it in a certain way, that critical controls are a key component of my work to ensure that we not only meet our targets, but that I can have a certain life, is I can go and enjoy my family, and I can have a certain lifestyle. So when I have that mindset, it's going to impact my behavior. When I see critical controls as an inconvenience, it's a hassle, it's taking me away from my targets, what's going to happen is I'm going to have a certain type of behaviors that is not helpful, that may put me in harm's way. And if that did happen is then we could have results that we obviously don't want to have. So it's really important that as we go through the rest of um, the session is to kind of go, what are the attitudes that are driving these behaviors? And what do we do as leaders within this context to influence these attitudes? So for the, the purpose of this webinar is we do want to distinguish between critical risk and injury risk. While they are both important is they do demand a different approach, um, a different strategy. So we like to differentiate and a very easy example is let's say I'm a manager and I hear two of my people are in hospital with a leg injury and I arrive at hospital and both of them have twisted ankles. So what would normally happen is I need to do some sort of investigation on how this injury took place. But then I start to do an investigation and I find out it's actually two very different scenarios, even though the outcome is the same. And the first is someone is they, they just basically slipped and in the process of slipping, they twisted the ankle. The second person is they were working at heights, let's just make it um, 10 meters, and they happened to fall and they didn't have their harness on. Um, there was no uh, barricade in place and um, scaffolding wasn't there and they fall and luckily, and I think that's the key word, luckily they land in a way that they only twisted their ankle. And so for the focus of today is we're not looking at the injuries that kind of in the day to day, but really at what are the injuries that are taking place that if it wasn't for luck is someone could have died or that there would be life altering injuries, debilitating. And so we are seeing this as two different um, approaches. Now, both are important. But I think there's two elements that come into play, and we've seen this constantly, is when it comes to a normal injury, I've just twisted my ankle. I mean, I've been in situations at, at one particular moment that, I mean, I was physically there, where this exact thing happened, and they spent over two weeks investigating how someone literally just misstepped and injured themselves. And now... Obviously, we care about our people. We want to make sure that they go in hope safe, but we need to understand that, you know, that was just a simple injury because of misstepping, is I want to put a lot of time and a lot of effort when it comes to understanding that when someone fell from height and um, they were fortunate only to twist the ankle to go in, if in any other situation, they, you know, would have been paralyzed or worst case scenario, actually died. And that's where I want to put my, my, my primary focus. And I use that word um, distinctly because in normal situations, we still care about people and we still want to pay attention to that. But the severity, and I think that is the right word, of the, the potential severity is far greater with someone falling from heights. And this for me is seen in... Um, in this scenario, so we understand that the this explosion, well, there was a gas leak in the um, the Gulf of Mexico. So, um, you know, BP they're doing some drilling here um, on a transocean oil rig. And for me, what's really interesting in this scenario, besides the absolute devastation that eleven people lost their lives and there were seventeen severe injuries is that on that very particular day is there were senior managers on the rig celebrating that for seven years they had no LTIs. 
So on the surface is they're going, everything is okay, is nothing has gone wrong. And because of that mindset is they weren't paying attention to some of the behind the scenes, these weak signals that saying, if we do not give this attention is then we can have this catastrophic event and outcome. And so not only did we lose dear loved ones, and we see people being injured is just the amount of environmental damage that had taken place just off the shores of Louisiana. And um, if I remember correctly, it's over a $530 million um, platform. So when we see the outcome of what has taken place is we're going, let's make sure that we are taking proactive steps so that this type of incident simply isn't going to take place. So really, what is critical risk management? Um, in basic terms, it's a systematic and integrated approach to ensure critical controls are A, known, that they are in place, and that they are effective to eliminate SIF from our company. Um, so there's something of a severe injury or fatality. So that's when we talk about um, SIF. So there are a couple of key words is this systematic, there's a, there's a process that should be followed. So it's not just, you know, we do whatever we feel is best, but very importantly, it's integrated. It's not something that is separate to the safety strategy within an organization. And its focus is to, is to firstly say, um, do we know what the critical controls are? Are we aware of them? Have we taken our time to make sure that, that we know what they are? Not only should we know what they are, that they need to be in place, and it's not only sufficient that they're in place, but they need to be effective. And why are we putting in this time and the effort? Well, simply because we care about our people, and um, we want to make sure that if something happened to go wrong at this level is, you know, it's not going to have the outcome that we simply don't want. And I think the challenge when it comes to Chris, um, critical risk management really is in the understanding that this seldom happens. So if we go back to the Deepwater Horizon incident is seven years without any form of incident. And so there's something of we're okay, but when something goes wrong, it's rare. Many cases, it's unlikely. But when it does happen, then we have this massive outcome that's impacting people's lives. So maybe one of the reasons that we are not seeing the outcomes that we want is because we have a lot of managers, we have a lot of leaders who don't see the critical importance of looking at these controls. Why? Because nothing's ever gone wrong in the past. And so it kind of gives us an excuse um, to not place the urgency or give the right amount of attention to make sure that our controls are in place and that we are managing them well. Now, just as a freebie is if you go onto our website and you just go to our resource tab is we've got several articles and white papers and other resources that you can download where it will go into a little bit more detail of what I'm communicating. So please take liberty to go on the website and um, yeah, tap into the resources that we have. So what are some of the dynamics when it comes to critical risk management? And the first is most critical risk and controls are already known. So there's not like, oh, I've never thought about this before, is we kind of know this makes sense. The issue is not, is it known? Really, the, the challenge that we face is are the controls being implemented? So it's not enough for me to go in, I, I know what is taking place. I know if something goes wrong, it's more than likely going to be in this area. It's to take that proactive approach that because this is more than likely, well, if it was going to happen, it would be in this area. Am I taking the time, the effort, and putting in the resources to make sure that this is mitigated, that this doesn't take place? I think it's also important, and this is kind of the relief that I have, is to go in that um, some controls are crucial to preventing SIF events and are the critical controls that must be in place. And what we're saying here is that we don't need to have 50 controls in most situations when it comes to critical risk, is that just a few will do the job. So if I take the working at heights example again, is the reality um, is when I, let's take me, is if I fell down is 
the fact that I was wearing gloves or safety goggles, it had very little influence on that situation. So what do we really want to do is we want to make sure that um, do I have a harness? Is Does it have an anchor point? Do I have the, the, um, the linear that goes with that? And, um, and if I'm focusing on that, the chances of something going wrong, or if they were to go wrong, is that I will not get injured. So we don't need to have 50 different items in, um, in that scenario. Now, I'm not saying we don't wear PPE because maybe the gloves are important for other activities, but many times as we have a whole lot of, of um, in controls that simply are not necessary, which really is reinforced by the last point here is to say less is more. Because sometimes we so cumbersome by all the things that we put in place and they're simply not necessary. And so it's difficult to monitor. It's difficult to make sure that they get the attention that, you know, that they require. And then it just gets lost in the clutter. So it's taking out the time to going, what could go wrong? And if it was to go wrong, it would have serious impact on people's lives. And um, do we have the controls in place to make sure that that is not taking place? So I'd be curious from your perspective, where you are at right now within your business, is just to do a quick poll. And number one would be, we haven't formally assessed our critical risks as of yet. So we just simply haven't put in the time at this point of time. Um, we have risk registers and all life-saving rules. So you have invested the time to having a look at the different types of risk and you've started to take initiative around that. Number three, we have used a methodological um, critical risk management approach to identifying our critical controls. And then lastly, we have a um, critical control verification process to test and improve critical control effectiveness in the field. So um, let's take a moment and just where you're at, it doesn't have to be scientific, just your experience. Just waiting for the results to come in. Um, I can't see the results. Is it possible for me to get access to that? I can see the results here for you, uh, Dr. Solomon. We have quite a mixed bag happening. So okay. we have only 7% selecting. Um, we haven't formally assessed our critical risks yet. We have 38% yeah. saying they have risk registers and life-saving rules. Mm -hmm. We have 27% saying they have used a methodical, methodological CRM approach to identify yep. their critical controls Magic. and 30% saying they have CC verification processes to test and improve critical control effectiveness in the field. Excellent. Um, well, firstly, I'm, I'm so excited that we rated low on the first question. And I think it is a reflection of what is taking place globally within the safety community. There, there really has been a move to, to understanding this dynamic, yet in spite of this, is we still seeing that 70% of us within our organizations haven't come to the place, and I wanna use this word, of full maturity in our critical controls verification process, that we're still using um, I don't want to say inadequate, but we we don't have we haven't gone through the full process. So it's exciting that we are using tools, but it is clearly a encouragement to saying how are we going to take this further? And so while this is really a basic webinar, there's nothing that would be oh I didn't know that before. As much as an inspiration and encouragement to go, let's make sure that we are taking the time, the effort, putting in the resources that this 
is in place so that we can avoid any type of catastrophic event within our organizations where our people get seriously injured or that there's a fatality. So to help us move within our maturity, it's to, it's to understand that there are different dynamics. Um, and I've just lost control of my computer. Uh, there we go. Um, is, to, is to look at what we refer to um, in the four dimensions when it comes to culture. And so that's our daily practices. It's also looking at the environment, the physical environment. It's looking at the person. So that's us and the decisions that we are making. And then the leadership that ties our safety culture all together. So let's take a simplistic scenario is I am driving in my car and I'm driving as safe as possible and a truck comes from the side and it and it just hits me and obviously I, I spin out of control and I could have been seriously injured or I could have died in that scenario. So how do we put controls in place? So the first is if we're looking at practices, is we're gonna go, is the appropriate risk assessments in place? Do we have the systems to accurately classify whether this is a SIF event um, or whether this is just a regular um, you know, injury that could have taken place? So what's happening is before I even get into the vehicle is we want to ask certain questions when it comes to the practice side. So a question like, um, is the vehicle maintained on a regular basis? So there's some sort of maintenance process is do I do an inspection before I get into the vehicle? So I make sure that, you know, the tires are pumped up, that there's fuel, um, you know, that the lights are working. So I don't just get into the vehicle and drive away, but I make sure that the, that the vehicle is in good working order. So that would be the practices. So before I even get into the scenario is I wanna make sure that I've gone through the processes that when I do get in the vehicle is what I'm going to do is as safe as possible. So if there are any failures in this process, so the vehicle hasn't been maintained, the tires aren't fully inflated, is, is I, I don't even want to get into the car. So once we've done that is then we need to look at the physical environment. And if I take the car scenario is most probably the two big ones that I'm concerned about is does the safety belt work? You know, is it in place? And if it is in a motion, is it going to lock me um, in place? It's going to secure me. And are the airbags working? So there's something of, you know, are the engineering controls there? Um, you know, are the tires, are, are they not only in good working order, but they have the appropriate threat? So it's what are we doing as leaders to ensure that the environment is as safe as possible or our people have the appropriate tools to work in the presence of hazards and to do it safely. Now, I have the, the car um, example again is I, as the person, is I can have, because attitudes drive behavior, get results, is I can not take the vehicle for a maintenance check. So the company has provided that opportunity, but for whatever reason, I've chosen not to do it because I don't deem it important, is I choose not to check the thread on the vehicle, is maybe I'm driving at excessive speeds. So the, the practices and the environment are in place, but they're not to my benefit simply because of me, is my mindset of how I'm approaching um, driving. But then we also have the leadership component. And that, that really is supporting how we're going to approach critical controls and um, SIF incidents and SIF pre um, prevention is it doesn't help if I now want to drive safely and I have a leader that kind of says, listen, you've got to get there now. And if you don't get there in 15 minutes, don't worry about maintenance. You just quick, you see it. Now, what's happening is that's putting a lot of pressure on me to drive in an unsafe manner. Or is I have a leader that comes around and says, listen, before you drive out, can I have a look at your risk assessment? Can I have a look at your logbook? Can I have a look um, on your training profile? Have you been on a advanced driving course? So leaders can come along and they can support critical control management by making sure things are in place or they can work against it. So it's really important that when it comes to dealing with SIF 
prevention is that we don't have a one dimension, one element perspective, but we're looking holistically when it comes to the maturity of our safety culture. So here are some brutal facts. So um, incidents analytics have done extensive research when it comes to, to these type of dynamics, and they have found several things that are very revealing. And um, the first is at the bottom here, 28% involved workers or supervisor adjusting practical uh, practices for local circumstances. And the reason being is that the controls were not always effective or fully enabled. So what's happening is I, as the person, is I want to have the controls. I want to work according to, let's say, the safest way possible. And yet, for some reason, is, you know, the controls that have been given to me are simply ineffective. I'll never forget, I was working with a company as a quarry, and they had a, a, a process that when working at heights above 1.8 meters is you had to wear a harness, and then it needed to be hooked in. Now, I, I was astounded because there was one area that um, certain workers is they had to fix and work at the top of a conveyor belt. And now we're talking, you know, this is 20 to 30 meters high. And um, so for a variety of reasons is they didn't have scaffolding. So what they would do is they would literally walk up the conveyor belt to the top. Now, the, the protocol is you've got to hook in. And I go, but where's the anchor point? So what's happened here is that there's a significant difference from, you know, the, the work that we are aspiring to, to the actual work conditions. So there's this, you know, when we in the, the comfort of our office is we plan work to be done in a certain way, but what's taking place in reality is very different. So it's, it's asking those critical um, questions to go, that which we are planning, that which we are attending, that which we are desiring, is it feasible within the, you know, the work realities? And so in that scenario is we got to go in, if we want our people to work safely, is walking up the, um, the conveyor belt at that height is simply a no-go, is we need to take the time and the effort, we need to provide the resources to build the scaffolding so that they can do that safely. Then what we've also found is that the local operation risk tolerance is often driven by misaligned corporate systems. In other words, what, what the, the percentage was, 32% of control failures resulted from routine work practices that drifted over time. So what's happened is we started in a certain way and then we've shifted because we it's almost become comfortable um, in, in how we've done this or there's been a, a change. I was working with an underground mine and they used a certain LHD, um, load hole dump machine, and um, it was a particular type of brand. And through a variety of reasons, when they needed to replace the vehicles, is they then got another type. Well, they, they operated the same way. They pretty much are designed very similar. But yet when it came to maintenance, there were, there were certain parts that were in different positions. Um, you know, when you did maintenance is, let's say certain bolts were in a different position to the other vehicle, um, but the procedure stayed the same. So we've got to be asking the question is when there are changes in our processes, when there are changes in situations, when there are changes um, in, in, the, in, our, in our procedures, in what is taking place in reality, are we making those changes or are we setting our people up for failure? So that really is the question. And Thibaut, one of the other principal consultants here, he used a, a great example is I now need to walk, I need to get across a, um, a crocodile infested river. And it doesn't help that if the company gives me some stilts. So what can happen, it's possible that I'll get to the other side and I'm kind of in the water, but there's a large possibility that I am going to fall and then obviously I'm either going to drown or I'm going to be eaten by crocodiles. So we want to set our people up for success. So if I come back to working at heights and walking up the conveyor belt to go, no, we want to enable our people. So what are we going to do? Is we going to buy the necessary um, materials for scaffolding. We're going to um, take people through the processes, the training, so that they can build the scaffolding. We're going to write the procedures that to work at those heights need scaffolding. What are we doing is we enabling our people. 
Then the second one is that we can find that things may be difficult. So in other words, is we want things to happen, but just because of the, the type of um, effort that needs to go into it or the time that it takes to do something causes people to find a shortcut or a workaround. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not agreeing with this at all, but I was working with an organization where to do a certain task had to be done within a certain time frame, but to go and get the necessary resources took, let's say, took 10 minutes, but they only had five minutes to do it. And so what was happening, the only way to do that, they wouldn't walk down the full passageway and then cross the conveyor belt um, with the walkway, is they simply went under it. And so what's happening is there is a desire to meet certain targets. There is a walkway in place because the, you know, the company didn't want to get uh, anyone to get injured. But because of the dynamics is people were simply taking a shortcut and they were going under the conveyor belt. Then we have where people are non-abled. And this is really, it's us um, not understanding the local or organizational factors. And so people feel disempowered. So um, again, very basic examples, but um, I now need to, let's say I'm gonna work on the, um, the LHD and I need to you know, change a bolt, very simplistic activity, and I need a ratchet, but I don't have one. I only have a, um, a spanner. So what's happening, it's going to be very difficult for me to do that job because I simply don't have the appropriate resources in which to do this. So there is a responsibility. There is pressure to go in as a leader. Am I spending the right amount of time and effort to make sure that we are enabling, we're setting our people up for success, which is I think one of the primary reasons is we're not seeing critical risk management um, flowing, taking place to the degree that it should, even though we know that these things should be happening. Mm -hmm. I've lost my computer again and we have it back. So the basically following on, on the research that has been done by incident analytics, is 61% of controls were in some way difficult to implement for the worker. Another classic example is working at certain heights is they had to use a cherry picker. And what they didn't take into consideration is where they were working is that the ground um, was, was full of um, stones. So to get the cherry picker in that place and then to, you know, you need an even platform just because of the physical location is it was difficult for them to operate. So great idea is we want you to work safely. Let's use a cherry picker, but not considering all of the elements that they had to face. 49% um, of control failures involved intentional workarounds by the worker. So what's happening here is I, I want to do the work safely, but because of a variety of reasons is I choose. That was probably the best way to do something is actually to ignore the procedure or to not make use of a certain control. Um, I, I heard of a uh, of another kind of a deep water horizon situation on an oil rig where there also was an explosion. And on that rig is one of the rules is you mustn't jump into the ocean. So it's it's an outright. That's one of the controls. Stay on the rig. And the people who survived is in that moment they realized the best way in this moment was to jump off the rig and those that did it saved their lives so sometimes people find themselves in situations where they know that the best way is actually not to follow the rules which puts a huge demand upon us is going why are our people thinking that way? Why do they feel that they need to make these decisions? And if they do, is then we need to go and we need to interact. Instead of reprimanding someone, say, oh, you've taken a shorter, um, shortcut, oh, you've worked around the scenario, is to really is to understand why do they feel that that needs to take place? How can we fix it? How can we learn from that situation so that we can have effective controls in place? Now, to help us with effective controls, is it really important to understand the context? So if we want this control integrity, in other words, that, that we know that uh, 
we can control a scenario that a SIF is not going to take place is that there are three factors we want to consider. Um, the first is the human factors. And the reality is people get tired. People get irritated. People lose focus. There is just, we make mistakes. And it's, it's not because I want to make a mistake. I, I just, at the end of the day, is I'm more tired than at the beginning of the day, is I might have some challenges that, that I, you know, in before I arrived at work, and my mind is distracted by those realities, and I'm not focused on the work, not because I, you know, don't want to be safe, it's just welcome to be human. And so we've got to, we've got to take this dynamic into consideration. Um, if I had my way, I would love that. No, it's not going to happen, but I would love that no company would have, um, you know, 24 hours operations. The, the fact of the matter, no matter what you do is at two, three, four o'clock in the morning, if you work in night shift, you're going to get tired. Your focus is going to minimize it. It's just a outright reality. It's a fact. So if you are having um, seven days a week, 24 hour rotations is going what are we going to do? What controls do we have in place to deal with these factors? Because it is just what it is. But not only do we need to look at the human factors, we also need to look at the local factors. And um, this is now where intended workarounds. So this is not just me making a mistake. Is there something of um, the way in which we function is there is um, intentionality that comes to, to mind. Um, so there's work that's pretty much routine work. We've been doing this all the, all the time and no one's ever got injured in the past or there's some sort of drift. So, you know, we started this way and it, all of a sudden work starts to change because of maybe the circumstances and, and we just move with it. Uh, and the fact of the matter, no one got injured, no one got hurt. And, and this is why we have separated to talk about critical controls is the chances of it happening is unlikely, but it's when it happens is we have the severe outcome. And, you know, you can see in the top corner there why attitude drives behavior gets results is to, is to help our people understand that when we become blasé, not fully committed, um, not resilient to changes in our environments where we take action is we could be setting ourselves up um, for these type of catastrophic outcomes. So we can't allow ourselves to kind of, we, we've drifted out there because circumstances have changed or that there's exceptional type of work and we just use that as, as an excuse. Um, I'll never forget, this was on an open cast mine, is they, um, they had the vehicle and every time they reversed is you got that, that screaking um, beep, beep sound. And what had happened is people were getting headaches. It was distracting. Uh, many of them, they saw that that beeping was such a distraction that they weren't even looking at the, at the whole trucks around them. And so what did they do is they started to take chewing gum and then they would put it over the actual mechanisms itself. So that when it was beeping is that it wasn't giving the, that high pitched noise. And um, while it's a clever idea, it's definitely not the safest idea. And so we need to ask questions again, the idea of making people alert of the whole trucks that was around them is to going, um, can we find another way? Just maybe another example is you can, yeah, I've uh, done a lot of work underground. Um, certain situation is they have these, um, when they're doing roof boltings to secure the roof so that there's no fall of ground. And when you come um, a certain distance to other vehicles or other people is the machine actually cuts off. It switches itself off. Um, the challenge is there's a lot of movement and activity to do that type of work. And because of that is the machines were cutting off all the time. But now it takes a while to start it up. It's not like a car where you go in and you just turn it on and then you can go forward. Is now it takes a couple of minutes. And what was happening is they weren't meeting their deadline because they kept having to switch this machine on after it had been cut off. So what did they do? Is they simply bypassed the, the, the trip switch. And years went by, everything was okay. And then there was one situation in one day where 
um, because there wasn't a, the trip switch wasn't activated. Some more passed. They didn't see it. And unfortunately, with great heart sore, is that person was driven over. We also need to look at organizational factors. And um, this is really is how good is our safety management systems? Is do people have the right equipment? What is, you know, the our processes? Is are our systems aligned to, to what needs to take place so that people can be working safely within the controls that they have in place? Um, for me, it's always disappointing where I now need to do a thorough risk assessment. I need to be able to look at the, you know, at the risks that are, um, you know, I'm going to be facing in the day, making sure that the control's in place. And it's, I mean, just in practical terms, it's going to take me 10 minutes, but I'm only given two minutes to do the job. And then a supervisor will come out and say, why aren't you on the road? Why isn't the machine operating? Why isn't the conveyor belt working? And what's happening is this, 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 this pressure is it's causing me to, to basically is to make different decisions that um, could be putting me in harm's way. So it's making sure that it's not just the, the human factors and the local factors, but also what are the organizational um, elements that are helping people not only identify the, the risks, putting in the right controls so that we all get home safely. Um, so that's just the, the critical control element. But now is we want to make sure that there are verifications, which is also putting a demand upon us as leaders, is to go in, I need to put out the time to get into the field, is I want to make sure not just through, I want to sort of say, hi, you know, that the information is coming through a system, but I want to go out there, want to take the time, I want to take the effort to walk around and have a look and say, are the right controls in place and are they working? Are they effective? And also, it's a beautiful opportunity for me to recognize and reinforce safe behaviors. I've never had a person come to me and says, you know what, I've resigned. I cannot work at this company because they keep saying thank you for doing a good job. <laughs> That's never happened. In fact, I know many people that they work in challenging situations and that they stay because there's constant communication that you are appreciated, that you are important. And so we shouldn't have to tell people thank you. We shouldn't have to tell people that they're doing a good job. But I mean, I've never, when you come to me, say, Cassie, you're sitting here and go, you know, Brett, you're doing a great job. Well, don't tell me that. No, the moment she says I'm doing a great job, what's happening? I feel good about myself. I want to keep doing that job. So it's so important for us as leaders that when we are in the field is to use these opportunities because they are brilliant opportunities to support and reinforce the behaviors that we want. Not only do I want to make sure that the controls are in place is, and that they're working, is how do I feed this into the system? Because many times is just if I take the, the, the two sprained ankle scenario is if that goes into the system and we're not identifying that there was a significant difference in potential harm. And so I want to make sure that it is getting into the system and that we can start to identify where do we need to make improvements? Where are the areas where things aren't working according to plan, where there has been some sort of drift or that which we plan to do in the office and how it's looking like in reality does not align. And so what are we going to do? How are we going to learn from the situation and make the necessary improvements? Um, I love when it comes down to the, 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 the bottom point here is there should be a standard checklist. There is something about, is this in place? Yes or no? Is our people following the procedures? Yes or no? Do they have the right tools? Yes or no? Have they been through the right training? Yes or no? So it's not just, you know, I kind of have a subjective approach to critical controls is I go, no, we know what needs to be in place and let's make sure that we are ensuring that it is there. Um, as I said, with the identifying the critical risk system improvements is not only do I want it in the system, is are we taking out the time to analyze this? Are we picking up certain trends that are, are warning us to saying, listen, if we don't give this attention, it's possible something is going to go wrong. So there's a nudge. There's a, a, a kind of a pointing out. Let's not ignore this like the deep water horizon is let's give this attention. And it's. 
how can I put this? It always is disappointing. And this is just me now is that when this is, you know, it's something separate to the safety strategy is critical control verifications. The whole critical control management should be integrated into the overall safety strategy. It shouldn't be something that is on the sidelines. And it's just part of what we do. It's part of who we are is that we care about our people and we want to make sure that they get home safely and that the work gets done without any incident. So, it's coming back to this understanding that attitudes drive behavior, get us results. And we talk about frames and frames is simply a, an understanding that I can have a certain perspective that is serving me or it's not serving me. I can have a certain mindset. And so we talk about red frames is what's happening is I see safety. I see critical risk management in a certain way that's not supporting. So what a, a typical red frame is, I know something must be in place. So let's take um, the conveyor belt that I now need to work at heights. And there, there is no anchor point is a red frame is, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway where a, a green frame will go, this is not right, and I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to go, I will not do this work. Now, not with, you know, that arrogant attitude, but with a, with a real sense of humility to say, this is putting me and other people in harm's way. So there's this notion of going, does this take me to my goal? Is this going to give me the outcome that I'm looking for? And anything that moves us away from our goal, we would say that that's a red frame. And so we want leaders to come around and we, that's why we recognize people is what do we say is that every time you do this is we are supporting this. It's reinforcing, it's taking us towards our goal. And when we see people who have attitudes, they have behaviors that's taking us away from what we want is we want to stop them. Um, again, Cassie is just sitting on the other side of the screen and go, you know what, Cassie, I really care about you and you are so important to this company, but what you're doing right now is really is not ideal. How can we make sure that you get your work done safely within the same time frames? What can I do to assist you? So instead of walking by and ignoring it, or worse, as I come and I yell at her and I demean her, that's really not going to assist us in, um, in how we want to go forward. So when we look at these type of interactions and shifting people's frames, it is important to understand certain brain science. So these are the human factors. It is just what it is. And how do I work with this? How do I work with people to get the outcome that I'm looking for? And this is the leadership dimension. So the first is what we refer to as DIPI. And um, DIPI is, is how the brain filters information. So anything that is dangerous is I'm going to give that attention. Anything that's important. So if my son happened to walk through this door is I'm going to be distracted. I'm going to move away from looking at the screen and I'm going to move to him. But why? Because he's very important to me. If a terrorist, thank goodness, is not going to happen. But if a terrorist comes into this room, with all respect to you, is I'm stopping this webinar right away and I'm going to respond to the danger, to the threat that I'm experiencing. So how do we show people the the importance of working safely, making sure that the controls are in place, but also the P, so danger, important, is pleasurable, is how do we make our interactions in a way that I go, it's a positive experience, but also is how do we get rid of the difficulties when it comes to working safely, to go in, you know what, there is demanding work, but this is as pleasurable, you setting me up for success, and then the last one is interesting. So danger, important, pleasurable, and interesting. And is there ways to, you know, to find that working together as a team that we enjoy this? Um, or in my case is I love photography and that's kind of tapping into the pleasure element as well is Brett, why are you vigilant when it comes to safety? Well, because on the weekend is I want to go do these certain activities. So you're getting a buy-in and a commitment from me, not because you are enforcing it, but because there's a true desire to have a certain lifestyle. Oh, this one is so important for us to remember as leaders. Bless my mom. She's such a lovely lady, but she lied to me because we grew up where she constantly told me saying she has eyes at the back of her head. <laughs> Unfortunately, she doesn't. And neither do we. So our brain, our conscious capacity is very limited. 
So we only, I mean, we are bombarded literally by millions of bits of information every second. And because of that is we um, simply can't see everything. We can't process everything. So how do we communicate to our people? How do we approach tasks in a way that gets them to focus on the critical elements and not be bombarded where they've got to do so much stuff and their mind is all over the place and it is um, setting them up for failure? Oh, this is so important is... I think there's a shift where we go, this is a problem. See, the moment I say this is a problem is my brain is going to find all the ways that this is, is going to go wrong versus this is a challenge. So what's happening is we open up our thinking to find out what ways can we do to improve this. And then we can even take it one step further to go, this is an opportunity. So it's the same situation, but by changing our language, by changing our wording, what's happening is we're going to find different ways of approaching this. As leaders, so important. How are we listening to our people? What questions are we asking? Are we setting you up for success? What resources do you need? Um, what are some of the challenges you're facing? How can we fix this? Because our people, they're the experts. They know how to do their job. I've already referred to this. When someone does well, is we want to come along and say, I so appreciate you, Cassie. And that would be a token. It's an expression of gratitude. It's an expression of, it's an acknowledgement of what you're doing. But the attribution takes it one step further is to going, I so appreciate because you're doing this and this. You know what, you are such a superstar because, and the moment I add because, it is giving extra weight to this. Also as people, is we have a very strong inclination towards you know, working within groups. And how do we find ways to reinforce the maturity of our safety culture from a team perspective where we are involving everyone in our processes? So how do we reinforce this um, in a very practical way? Is firstly, is we need to plan. Is to go in, you know, before we just go out and we do work, before we want to bring in a critical risk management system, is sit down and go, what are the elements that need to be um, in place? What are we going to do about it? So we're not just doing haphazard um, activities. We're not just trying any latest fad, but we are simply um, planning the activities um, but not only that, is once we um, are out in the field, once we have got information, is are we implementing that? So uh, again, is my vehicle is, is not secure because there's not a safety belt in place, or I'm working at heights and I don't have a harness, is what are we going to do about it? We're going to make sure that those elements are, are coming into play. And then we need to check it as we need to go back and say, have they been supplied? Are people using these? And, um, and if they are, is, um, is let's communicate that. And how can we improve? How can we take this to the next level? So maybe just in a very practical way is this would be a normal day. So the above the line is I come and I, I want to do a great job. And so I start off normally for many people is they would go through a pre-stock. We talk about the um, activities that need to be done in the day. And then we, um, we need to go along and say, how are we going to implement critical controls? Um, and there we can use things like SLAMs and PERMAS, JSAs. And then we want to... Um, verify that these are A in place and that they are working. And then where they are not in place or there are gaps is we want people to say, you know what, let's stop. Let's make sure that they are in place so that we can keep people safe. But after the shift is then we want to take that information. We want to put it into our system, not to reprimand people or to catch them out, but to learn from this. And then through the learning process to kind of go, how can we make the improvements that at the end of the day is that when we start the next shift is that people are simply doing the right things with the right tools so that we can get the right outcomes. So to bring this to an end, again, from a, um, a leadership perspective, is that when we interact with people is that there's normally two approaches, is if there's a positive experience, there's a release of dopamine, and if there's a, um, a negative or an unhelpful interaction, is that normally the fight, flight, freeze response will kick in. So we need to make sure that when we are doing our walkabouts, when we are doing the critical control verifications, that the experience is positive and that people enjoy it so that they do not go into that. So I just want to um, 
get just a gut feel of where you are at when it comes to your experiences. And if you just mind taking some time is right now when it comes to engaging frontline workers is do people see the safety um, police are coming around so they are stealing the, the joy of doing their work. They are these downers. Um, you know, it's just a KPI exercise. They're just going through the motions um, or are they happening okay, but no real learnings are taking um, place and there's no feedback or it is a, a positive experience with system improvements that are shared across the organization. So if you wouldn't mind just taking a couple of moments to fill that out and if I can get the results back, I'd be so grateful. I'll just wait for a few more people to answer those questions, Brett, mm -hmm. and then Thank I'll let you. you know the results. Okay. Just a few more to go. I'll give it 10 more seconds and then I'll let okay. you know. Thank you. Okay, so for those that have answered so far, yeah. uh, we have nobody feeling that the oh, safety right. or fun police are coming, which is amazing. That is amazing. 22% um, of the audience believe that mm. it's just a KPI exercise. Yeah. 39% believe that they're happening okay, but no real learnings or feedback. Mm -hmm. And 39% yep. as well is it, believe it's a positive learning experience yeah. with system improvements that are shared across the organization, which is great. Yeah. Excellent. Well, definitely when there's no sense of the policing approach to um, critical risk management, but also while it's good to um, really be at the three level um, is if we take two and three, we're still looking at 60% of organizations aren't at the degree or the maturity that we would like them to be. So we still need to grow. And I think to, to bring this presentation to an end is my daughter, she's just moved from the UK um, to Australia and she's now trying to get a job. And the first time she walked in, she's got her CV and, you know, Pia's my CV. And I'm going, my girl, that's you're not going to get a job that way is you need to get your pitch right. I go, you need to walk in with a, with the sense of enthusiasm and you need to go, hi, my name is Carissa. And I've got, cause she wants to be in the retail industry. I've got several years of retail industry from London and I'm now looking for a job in Australia. And I'm just going, what are you doing is instead of just handing this in that no one's going to look about, no one's going to care is you, you pitching that. And so we need to be asking ourselves is, um, uh, I can just get this back. There we go. Is when we talk about this, when we want people to, to have that positive experience, to have that buy-in, when we want to shift people's attitudes, it's not sufficient just to tell them the how and the what, but how do we move people emotionally by showing them the why? So it's not mandated, but it's something that comes from within that I want to do. So how we respond to, to this really matters is we always want to be focusing on what is working well. Um, where things aren't working to our expectations is let's discuss it. Let's find out why it's not happening and um, and make the different, uh, make the, the changes that need to happen. And then we always want to assist our people. Um, so at the end of the day, is we want to see that there's a reduction in actual frequencies. So as we track it, we see the um, the trends is, you know, it is moving in the right direction and that we are improving within our systems is there's a move away from critical risk, um, you know, well, where we have la lagging indicators as our performance measures to now using critical risk as our leading indicators. And um, at the end of the day is there's the right type of activities that is creating the mature culture 
and everyone is doing their jobs. We're meeting our targets. We're doing it in budget. We do it within the time frame, and everyone is going home in the way that we want. Now, I would love to have another two, three hours, and um, I've got Cassie that's going, you know, you got to wrap it up, and we didn't even get time for questions. That's my bad. I'm sorry about that, because I would have loved to have spent some time just chatting with you. So maybe to, to wrap this up is, um, this would be our last poll, is firstly, if you would like a copy of our Critical Control Assurance White Paper, is if you can just say yes or no, so you can just click on the poll, um, and if you would like us to, you know, to reach out. So if you've got any questions for us, um, you know, specifically for this is you are so welcome to get hold of me. Um, here are my details. And again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your time. I hope that you've got something out of this um, that you will find valuable. Uh, forgive me from, you know, the, yeah, I, I, I just love what I'm doing. So I get maybe a little bit overpassionate about it, but I'm so looking forward to hearing your stories and your successes. Thank you so much, Brett. Um, that was amazing. And I'm sure everybody else that was on board today agrees. Now, for anybody that um, is interested, we will be sending out all of this information in an email shortly after today. And if you have any questions whatsoever, please feel free to email either myself or Dr. Brett at his email address, which is on screen now. Thank you so much, guys, and have a wonderful rest of the week. Perfect. Are we allowed to, if someone wants to stay on, so we're over and they want to ask questions, are we allowed to do that? I actually need to do a hard stop for okay. now. Um, right. but if everybody could just take a screenshot of Brett's contact details there, um, they'll be able to get in contact with you. Magic. Thank you so much. Have a great day further. Thanks, Brett. Bye. Bye.